Good evening and welcome to the Spirit Guides Network Radio Show with your host, Mark Chatterton. Tonight, we are pleased to welcome back on the show, Chris Thomas, the author and healer from Wales, who is able to access the Akashic Records. Since we last spoke with Chris, he has released a new book called Synthesis. The book gives us a potted history of the universe from creation right through to 2011 and beyond. And tonight, we'll be talking with Chris about what's in the book. So welcome back, Chris. I'm very, well, very pleased to be back. Okay, well, first of all, I'd like to ask you, what made you decide to bring out synthesis? Well, really, we're going through a huge shift in energy patterns and consciousness levels. And a lot of people are feeling a little bit lost. Um, let's face it, there's so much information out there that people really don't know what to do with it. And so the, I wrote the book essentially just to say, well, here's an overview of human history, who we are, what we are, what we're doing on Earth, why we're here, and um, basically is to try and give a context into which people's awakening memories and thoughts can be placed. Okay. Obviously, you base what you write about your ability to access the Akashic Records. Am I right in thinking that you can access all things that have happened in the universe to date, but not what is going to happen in the future? Uh, yeah, that's essentially correct. Um, after all, the Akashic is, a, is an ancient Sumerian word which means record. So in other words, it records everything that occurs as it happens, but it does not predict the future. Okay, so obviously if we go back right to the beginning, the start of creation, in the book, you're able to give us a precise date, precise date of when the universe started, which rounding off is to the nearest 14 billion years. Does this date <laughs> actually tie in with what scientists say for the start of the universe? Yeah, actually, for once, it's not too far off. Um, generally, science seem, or cosmologists now seem to accept the date of around about the 14 billion year mark. And, uh, say, for one, science seems to tie in very closely with the Akashic. I can't remember the exact figure I put in the book, but I know it's 14 billion something or other. Yeah, I've got it here, but I'm going to try and say it because it's far <laughs> too long. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. so, obviously, with the book, you, you start off with the start of creation and the universe and various other universes, and then mm -hmm. you say about uh, there were 13 races created, that's six non-physical races and seven physical races, of which humans are part of the seven. What would you say is it? Uh, no, 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 not, not quite. quite right. Okay, not, not quite. No, no. Um, the six non-physical races are what people would call angels. Yeah. I suspect. Yeah, this is primarily because they have no physical density um, and no physical form. Essentially, they're just pure soul energy. And then there are seven, what the Akashic calls seven semi-physical races, who have a physical form and density. They're just not as physically dense as we are. Right. And as far as humans are concerned, um, I mean, we're not a body that has a soul. We are a soul that has constructed for itself a body. And 99% of all humans their sole origin is within the six non-physical races. So in other words, they are, um, in, in terms of their soul energy, they have no physical form or density, but they have come to us to try and experience what it is like to be physical. Right. So there's a slight distinction there. Yeah, okay, because obviously there is sort of quite complicated all, about all the different races and everything, but I won't go into that, but yeah, not sure. it's all in the book be. if you want to sort of learn more about that. All, all you need to remember is that humans are the densest form of life in the universe. Right, okay. In, in every way, sense of the word, dense. <laughs> okay, um, get, going on, in the book you tell us that there were originally 13 planets in our solar system, and that four of them chose to remove themselves from the solar system, and this resulted in them exploding, and the debris that, that came from them, a lot of it is the asteroid belt between Mars and Jupiter. Um, does this mean that 
there's lot, all these different asteroids that are still flying about in the solar system have come from these planets. Uh, yes, essentially, um, primarily from two, because two. Um, it, it, again, you you have to try and think of everything as a consciousness, and every planet has a consciousness, uh, a soul of its own, and two of them decided that they no longer wish to continue with this. What is essentially an experiment, in, in, as far as our solar system is concerned. And those two, the souls that were those planets, left, decided to leave the uh, lumps of um, uh, material that uh, they'd built around them. And that caused a, a massive explosion throughout the solar system, which basically killed off all of the life on all of the planets, on all of the, all of the planets within the solar system, apart from on Earth. And, uh, yes, they created the asteroid belts, but to the two other planets, um, seeing the kind of damage that was caused by the first two uh, leaving, decided to leave intact, as it were. So in other words, the consciousness, the soul that was that were each of these planets, moved themselves outside of the solar system. Now, so there are two planets that have been slowly disintegrating outside, of, just outside of our solar system for the last 3.8 million years. And this has led to uh, current scientific thinking that there is a large planet just outside of our solar system, uh, basically around something like a gas giant about the size of Jupiter. Um, more recently, uh, uh, scientists of, or people from NASA who've been observing these two planets slowly disintegrating and looking like a gas giant uh, called it something like Kira or a name like that, I seem to remember. Other people, of course, called it Nibiru, um, which, of course, is entirely wrong because that's uh, being misled by this semi-physical race called the Venon. Um, but yes, there are two planets just outside of the solar system that have been slowly degrading, falling apart for the last 3.8 million years, and they look, currently look like a gas giant. Okay. Getting back to the first two planets that exploded, you say that our moon is a large chunk from one of the planets that was yes. originally between Earth and Venus, and you That's state... Right. You state that the moon is not hollow and that all the stories of it being an alien base are false. Uh, well, the, there's a lot, certainly a lot of rumours that the moon is an alien construct. In other words, it's made out of metal and it rings hollow if you strike it. Uh, that's a lot of rubbish. But what the, if, if you think of a volcano and you get all the magma that comes out, what you end up with the magma as it cools is a lot of gas voids. So in other words, it, it looks like a crunchy bar or Maltesers or something. And the same applies to the moon. What you're looking at is the magma core of a planet that is cooled. And what is with it inside the moon is a honeycomb of these gas voids. So if you strike it in the right place, it's, it sounds like it's hollow. I see. But it's a it's a natural attraction, if you like. So the the Earth didn't have a moon before this occurred 3.8 million years ago. Um, it's just this very large chunk of one of the planets came within its uh, range of consciousness, and the Earth decided to adopt it. I see. And obviously, the moon is connected with tides, and and obviously it reflects light from the sun, so it does yeah, have a it, use. It, 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 it very much has a use and um, provides variation on the planet, whereas before there weren't any tides, as it were. Uh, but by bringing the moon in, then it meant that it created greater variation on the Earth and has actually helped the development of life. As far as alien bases are concerned, um, on the so-called dark side of the moon, there is a base which was constructed jointly by humans and aliens and has been there since the late 50s. Um, so, no, there is an alien base on the moon, but it is not constructed by aliens. Okay. Now, getting back to the explosion, obviously it had a big effect on Earth and there were huge mm -hmm. tidal waves that virtually destroyed all life on Earth. 
yet yeah. it took about a, a hundred thousand years for everything to be repaired by the Sidere and the fairy. Is that right? Yes, essentially. Um, if you look at archaeological records, what you will find is that there are massive deposits of bones uh, of dinosaurs um, who, that line up along mountain ranges that run east-west across the planet, which means that the Earth was rocked on its equatorial axis as opposed to its polar axis by these explosions. And essentially everything just got washed up into the foothills of the mountains. Um, as I say, there, there are um, convincing archaeological records of, of these deposits of these bones. So it, 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 it basically reflects what the Akashic says, there's always there's the time frames that are, that are the problem. Right. Because the Earth is much, much younger than um, scientists claim. Yes, because I think you say that happened about 3.9 million years ago. Well, no, the the accident, the destruction of the two planets occurred about 3.8 million years yeah. ago. The Earth itself is only about 40 million years old. I mean, our solar system is only about 40 million years old. Um, the, the problem has been is that um, as scientists started to develop various branches of science, they couldn't quite fit in all the bits and pieces that they thought were going on into the sort of time frames that they were thinking about, um, it, because basically everything was based on the Bible. So somebody, uh, some theologian, uh, whenever it was in the 15th century, I think, came up with a date for the Earth, and the age for the Earth has been somewhere between four and 5,000 years old. So they started with that, and they couldn't fit all of the in all the information that they were finding out about the Earth into that sort of time frame. And gradually that uh, time frame expanded. So the Earth became older and older. And uh, all the history became more and more convoluted as they tried to work their theories into these situations. And the current scientific age for the planet is 4 billion years old. But um, that date is actually based on a meteorite that was found on the Earth's surface and has got actually nothing to do with Earth rocks. Right. So it's, um, as far as the Akashic is concerned, all of this dating of the age of the Earth by the scientists is um, rubbish, I think would be a polite word to use. Okay. So if we move to more recently, about 100,000 years ago, you say about Lemuria being created as an ice island off the coast of South America. Could you tell us a little bit about yeah. this um, area, or continent even? Um, the, what you have to remember is, is that the continent of South America was further out into the Pacific. In other words, it wasn't actually attached to North America at the time. Um, and so you had um, a, a good sort of flow, if you like, of tides and water between uh, the Pacific and the Atlantic through the Gulf, what is now the Gulf of Mexico. And um, the, generally speaking, the planet's global temperature was about plus six degrees. That's about the average temperature that we've had throughout the, the Earth's history, uh, which means there was very little ice. Um, around the place, but uh, once in a while, it, it, global temperatures don't depend on carbon dioxide levels. Global temperatures depend upon sun activity. So, if the sun is very active, then the global temperatures are, are, can be comparatively high. But if the global, but if the sun activity drops, like it has done for the last eleven years, for example. Um, then global temperatures do drop, and so the South Pole can freeze, or could freeze during that time frame. And um, the ice that flows around the South Pole could extend as far as the tip of South America at that time. And so an ice island was chosen uh, by a particular race of uh, beings who are master geneticists who came to Earth to try and help uh, the Earth to try and solve some problems that were going on on the Earth at the time, um, and also in relation to the 
um, to the problems that been, had been experienced because of the two planets uh, blowing themselves up throughout the solar system. So it was a temporary ice island. It, it was known it was only going to be a temporary ice island because it depended on when the sun's activity would increase again. Um, and of course, once the sun's activities did increase, then the uh, the ice melted and uh, it returned back. The Earth returned back to um, our normal condition on Earth. For the whole, basically, the whole of the Earth's history is that the North Pole is not frozen. The North Pole was subtropical, as was the whole of the Northern Hemisphere. It was only the South Pole that ever froze whenever the sun's activity reduced to a certain level that allowed everything to freeze and cool down. Okay. So the the beings that were on Lemuria weren't physical beings, is that, is that what you're saying? They, they were semi-physical. Yeah. So one of the so-called alien races, one of the semi-physical races, yeah. And they were there just to carry out experiments, basically? Essentially, yes, to see... Um, Development of life on Earth following that disaster 3.8 million years ago um, meant that things were a bit slow in picking up. And so the Earth as a consciousness asked this particular race because they are, um, the only way to describe them is master geneticists. They are amazing at what they do. And most of the life on Earth exists because this particular race has assisted the Earth in development and evolution of the species that are here. So they were a natural choice for the Earth to turn to um, because of the problems that the Earth was experiencing at that particular time. Okay, if we move on to Atlantis now, which Mm -hmm. you say was established about 85,000 years ago, uh, this was a time when the whole of the soul was incorporated in the human body. Um... Okay, because what really happened on Atlantis was that um, we couldn't get the soul into the body, which is one of the aims, basically, of the Earth. Yeah. Um, and so um, the she called in this alien race to say, well, why don't we have a whole soul within the body? Because that's what should be happening. And so Atlantis was then established as a, as a way in which, as, or as a place in which experiments could take place where we could achieve to get uh, the process of getting the whole soul into the body. So it, it took several thousand years once established, once Atlantis was established to achieve that particular aim. Okay, so once that aim was established, um, you describe it as it was like paradise on Earth with humans having a lifespan of around 1,500 years, which, t- right, yeah. which ties in with some of the patriarchs in the book of Genesis in the Bible. Yes. And then... Before we move on to the actual destruction of Atlantis, could you tell us a little bit about what life was like in Atlantis um, from the, para- um, from the paradise uh, point uh, of view? Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll do my best. Yeah, just just quite uh, briefly. Be- yeah. yeah, because, I mean, literally we don't have the vocabulary to explain it. Um, if we wanted to go somewhere... Um, whether it was on Atlantis or another part of the planet. All we had to do was to project our thoughts to where we wanted to be. So it's a bit like remote viewing. So we'd say, um, I don't know, I I want to go to Africa to have a look at uh, an elephant. Then you would remotely view that spot where you needed to be. And then once you checked out that that spot you wanted to travel to was safe to travel to, then you would take the body along the thought. The process called translocation. So literally, you could sink yourself somewhere, and then you could r- bring the body with you, um, so you became physical within that spot. So you could experience all the physical uh, senses that you had at that time um, to experience everything that was going on. Um, our senses... You know, we, we are used to the five senses of, you know, sight, hearing, touch, taste, smell. Um, really, the, the, I, I describe them in one of my books. Those are like single notes in, in what you could consider to be a symphony of senses that we had with it at the time of Atlantis. 
So in other words, you could sense everything. You could feel the air. You could know what was in the air. You could know what an animal was thinking, what what, what a plant was thinking. You could communicate with a plant. Uh, you could communicate with animals. Um, we had all of those abilities. Um, the, we could work with the planet herself. We could communicate directly with the planet's consciousness. And we could regulate the weather. Um, not that we needed much in the way of weather regulation, because the, temp the global temperatures then were up around about the plus six degrees centigrade level, which is about five degrees warmer, five and a half degrees warmer than it is now. Um, which means that people wore no clothes. And certainly at the, at the start of Atlantis, we didn't have a sex either, so there was no male or female. There was, we were just androgynous. We were what the soul is in its natural state, is neither male nor female or both, which meant that there were never, ever children on Atlantis. So if we... Um, if we were a soul who wanted to come to us to experience what the physical life was like, then we literally took the soil of the earth and wrapped that into the soul. And that then made the soul become physical, in other words, human. Uh, so in some respects, there are many parallels with the Garden of Eden within that. But that's an entirely different story. But there are certain parallels there within the Garden of Eden literally using the soil of the earth to create the physical body. And that's how birth occurred on Atlantis. So we had adult birth. We didn't have children. Children, we didn't work out the birth process until many thousands of years later. Um, as I say, I don't know how else to No, that, that's, that's, that's fine. Because we don't have the vocabulary mm. for it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, moving on. Various writers have said about Atlantis that humans started experimenting with changing the human form and merging yep. it with animal genes, and mm -hmm. this was the reason why Atlantis was destroyed. Yet, from the Akashic, it's saying that the reason Atlantis was destroyed was because of bacteria that escaped into the atmosphere, which had the potential of destroying all human life because they could convert oxygen into hydrogen. So this was the yes. real reason why Atlantis was destroyed. Yes. Now, the animal experimentation of mixing human genes with animal genes was very true. And it created a huge number of problems. Um, and uh, collectively, we decided to stop all of that experimentation. But around about the same time, we had this problem with this mutating bacteria. So the problems with mixing human and animal genes together was never fully resolved on Atlantis because we had this emergency to take care of uh, on top of it all. Uh, but yes, the merging of animal and human genes did create a massive number of problems, but ultimately was not the reason why we destroyed the continent. And obviously, um, when Atlantis was destroyed, it, it was a massive earthquake and it took Atlantis under the ground, and, and that's why there's absolutely no trace of Atlantis nowadays. Yes, that's correct. We, we basically opened up the mid-Atlantic trench and sank the whole continent into it to essentially contain this bacteria, uh, because the bacteria really did have the potential to destroy all life on the planet. Again, there's another biblical parallel here is that this bacteria, if it got into the body, could remove all of the oxygen out of the body. And what you end up with then is basically a pillar of salt, a pillar of um, basic minerals that the body is made from. So it's it like really this, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. That's it, yeah. Um, obviously, yeah. Um, some people were allowed to leave Atlantis before this happened, and they went into other places like South America, West Africa, Egypt, and Britain. And yeah. you, you say they, they lived in tunnels and underground shelters. Um, the first thing is, the you'd say about the Sphinx in Egypt, which was built mm -hmm. about 63,000 years ago, was an entrance to a maze of tunnels un underneath, underneath that. And then also in Britain, where West Kennet Longbarrow is near Avebury and Silbury Hill in Wiltshire. That was a, another entrance to another set of tunnels 
Could you tell us a little bit more about these tunnels and do they still exist today? Yes, all of them exist. Um, the uh, ones in Egypt will have been discovered and discussed and filmed uh, quite a few years ago now. It was about uh, 98, I think, was the date. I can't give you an exact date. It was around about that sort of time. <coughs> Excuse me. The, the, the tunnels were entered and filmed. Um, the entrance to the tunnels was guarded and is still guarded by um, the American military because they don't want people to know about the tunnels and what was found under them, uh, which are basically um, there's several thousand kilometers of tunnels under the Giza Plateau, um, including freshwater lakes and all sorts of bits and pieces down there. The same in South America. There's something like 8,000 kilometers of uh, deep underground tunnels have been mapped in South America that were inhabited a long time in the past. And the same in Britain, under West Kennet Long Barrow, uh, or at least under Salisbury Plain, um, there are several hundred kilometers as opposed to several thousand. Uh, but they do still exist. And... Um, but you know, basically they are guarded, and nobody really can get into them unless you're uh, somebody, something to do with the military or something to do with the Illuminati, whatever. Um, but this is why there was such a huge interest in Egypt, particularly around about the millennium, uh, by people like the Bilderbergers and the Illuminati, and why so many Americans ended up in on the. Giza Plateau because there was all sorts of prophecies of things occurring around about that time that would come out of these underground tunnels. Okay, still with the Egypt um, place, we've, you say about 18,000 years ago the Great Pyramid was constructed in Egypt mm -hmm. and its purpose was a way of focusing energy to help the soul, the soul merge back into the human body because that obviously had been lost with Atlantis. Is that yep. correct? Yes, that, that is correct. Um, the archaeological dating of the pyramids is about 4,000 years ago. And that's based on some archaeologist finding a shard of pottery outside of the pyramids buried in the sand. And because they could date that particular shard, or they thought they could date that particular shard of pottery, they said, oh, well, this must be the same age as the pyramids then. And they haven't thought about it since. That, that's literally become carved into stone. And anybody who uh, tries to contradict that or can prove something different um, just gets labelled as a pyramidiot. And as far as I'm concerned, it's the Egyptologists who are the pyramidiots, not the uh, people presenting alternative theories on it because some of the theories are actually uh, very close to what is within the Akashic and the purpose of it. And when the uh, underground tunnels under the Giza Plateau were explored by the American military, um, they also went into the pyramids and found that um, if the, particularly the cartouche hieroglyphs were read correctly, then they knew how to trigger and activate the energy frequencies within the king's chamber of the pyramid itself. And they found that it still functioned within, with its original purpose, which is that they created standing wave frequencies which altered their consciousness state and also altered the, um, the basic structure of the pyramid itself from the inside. So now they're immensely powerful. Uh, that, that The central pyramid at Giza is an immensely powerful energy spot and remains so to this day. It's still active if you know how to use it. And is that correct that other pyramids around the world, say in Central America, and also I understand there's some in China, would they have the same potential for the energy to be released as well? Yes. Uh, that was, again, their original function as the... When we, when humans returned to Earth after Atlantis about 25,000 years ago, um, each of them built their equivalent of um, the py a pyramid. Um, so you're looking at South America, uh, Tibet, 
um, uh, Iraq. Uh, God, I can't remember all, all of the locations offhand. But there are six primary pyramids around the planet, um, which perform exactly the same function as the central pyramid in Giza. Particularly the one in Tibet, because the one in Tibet is the most intact. This is hidden away uh, in, a, in a little valley in the Himalayas. I've actually seen pictures of it taken by aircraft. Um, and it, it's, it's, it's in pristine condition. It's exactly as it was 18,000 years ago. Um, in Britain, we were slightly different in that we didn't need um, a pyramid structure because we had Stonehenge, because that's the function of Stonehenge, is to act more or less the same way as the pyramids do. Um, so, yes, there are all of these places had um, the, either a pyramid or the equivalent of it. Some of them have been lost. Some of them have been copied over the centuries. So they don't function in quite the same way as the Giza Pyramid, or um, the primary one in South America is the Teotihuacan, which does exactly the same job as the Giza Pyramid does, and the one in Tibet. So we've got um, the Teotihuacan one has been essentially destroyed. Its function has more or less been destroyed because some stupid archaeologist decided to um, dig some of it up, and so reduced its energy capabilities. So the one in Tibet is still um, still fully functional. So they are still around and they do still work. Getting back to the dating of the pyramids, um, would it not be possible to take a, a small chip of one of the stones and carbon date it? And would that prove how old it would be? Um, it's been done many times. Yeah. All it does is prove the age of the rock. Yeah. Because carbon dating only works on living things, yeah, not, on, yeah. not on rocks. Right. Um, they've tried various other dating techniques on it, and um, so all, all it does is prove the age of the rocks. They can't really um, do anything with it. But in any case, even if they could prove that it was, you know, worked 18,000 years ago or whatever, um, the Egyptologists would not accept it. It's been tried many times to change. Well, look at the controversy over the Sphinx. Yeah. The pattern of erosion on the back of the Sphinx very clearly shows that it is water erosion. Um, and whereas Egypt has been totally dry for 4,000 years, so it, it's impossible for um, the Sphinx to be only 4,000 years old. At the very least, the very least age that has been put on the Sphinx because of the pattern of water erosion across its back is 20,000 years. Okay. And again, that's, that is immensely controversial and the Egyptologists will not accept it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's quite a, a, a difficult subject, obviously, that is quite controversial, yeah, as you well, say. Yeah, but this is why the Egyptologists are currently recovering the Sphinx with new limestone so that it hides the evidence. I see. Okay, let's go to the the present now and the year 2011. In the book you say, talk about the human plan, which you say started about 7,000 years ago with the idea that of humans live several lifetimes in order to gain as much knowledge as of, as possible about being human and so regain the original human template of the whole soul within the human body and this is yep. due to come to an end at the end of this year with all humans deciding whether to undergo this change or not and yep. you you say that um, those who have said no will leave the planet while those who have said yes will stay and under, undergo this change does that yep. mean that a lot of people are going to die before the end of, of this year, then, if, if they've said no. Um, what you have to look at are population figures. Now, the official population figure, if you go into the, web, the government website that tells you what the global population is, what you have is a counter that ticks away one, it adds one life every second. What it doesn't do is to take into account deaths. So literally, as far as the official figures are concerned, we have a growing population which is, isn't stopping. But if you go to the Akashic, 
what you find is quite a different story. And that the global population peaked in 1996 at just over 7 billion people on the planet. And if you look at the um, the Akashic now, what we have is a population somewhere in the region of 3.5 billion. So literally we have lost half the population in whatever that is, 15 years. Um, and nobody's noticed because what we have is the official figures telling us that the population is growing. And so there's a lot of confusion over that. But um, yes, essentially, people, it, 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 this universe is founded on the energies of freedom of choice. Every soul that exists within this universe has absolute freedom of choice to choose its actions. And if you, if you were human and felt that you were ready to undergo these changes, then you remain on the planet. But if you decided that you were not ready, for whatever reason, nobody's standing in judgment. It's only the individual soul who can judge themselves. Nobody is judging them. Only they can judge themselves. Um, for whatever reason, these souls have said, no, we're not ready to undergo this change, and they've left. And they are continuing to leave. Um, if you go back a few years, uh, there was a lot of d debate about um, immigration because of the, the EU um, uh, bringing all the countries together. And Germany stated that their drop in population was catastrophic. Spain said it needed more than a quarter of a million immigrants every year just to maintain its current workforce. The so same applies to Italy. Uh, Britain said, oh, well, we do have a growing population. But when questioned on it, the only reason Britain has a growing population is because of immigration. That's what the politicians actually stated in the end. So essentially, every country in the world has a dropping population. Um, even countries like India. India has uh, still has a high level of population or a high number of people living in India. But the population growth is virtually zero. Um, same with China. China's population is now about half of what it was 20 years ago. And Japan has had a, a dropping population again for about 20 years, and it has been immensely concerned about it. There was a very slight rise in population in Japan um, in 2009, I think it was, they reported it. But even again, even there, the rise was only what was basically half of what was needed to maintain its current population. So globally, we have a massively dropping population. And, the um, you know, you've got countries in the middle of Europe, you know, like, say, uh, Hungary, uh, the old Slavic countries and all the rest of it. The only people left there are, um, uh, you know, the uh, the grandmothers and grandfathers who can't move to other countries. Otherwise, the countryside has no population at all. So we have a massively dropping population and have done since 96, since these decisions were made. And um, it is continuing. But nobody's actually noticed that there's a dropping population, you know, in, in terms of, um, how you as an individual or I as an in individual perceive the populations because all we see is, is what is around us. But in global terms, uh, the population is now half of what it was in 1996. Okay, let's talk about going through the change. How does it actually physically manifest itself? Does it mean a change in attitude, a change in behaviour, change in appearance? What, how do you know if you've gone through this change? <laughs> <laughs> now that's a leading question. Yeah, I've ever heard I, I know. Um, it's very difficult at the moment. Um, globally, we're looking at about uh, four and a half to five million people who have completed this change. Uh, most of these, or virtually all of these people, are living in isolated um, tribal communities like uh, remote parts of Africa, South America, 
even remote parts of Europe, remote parts of Russia. Um, so they're living in small communities, and their existence is pretty much the same as it was on Atlantis. But for the rest of us, for the rest of the world, unless you can, unless it's right for you, unless your higher self says that it is the right time for you to undergo change, then you're, all you can go is all you can do is basically step up to the the, the last but one step. Um, and what that means is that you you feel different. You see the world differently. You can see the truth of something and the lie of something. Um, generally, you tend to reject anything chemical. Um, so that's anything medical or any food that contains chemicals. So you tend to become organic, even if you weren't before. Um, you certainly become very holistic in the way in which you view the body. But generally, you won't have any illnesses in any way, because if you're ready to undergo the change, then the body becomes self-repairing and self-cleansing. Um, and the attitudes, yeah, the, the primary change in attitude is that you can see a lie. Um, and this is why uh, so many ridiculous situations are now coming to light. It's like this crazy thing recently about Obama's birth certificate or Bin Laden's death. <laughs> All of these things, people are turning around and saying, this is an absolute load of rubbish. And the politicians have no answer to it. So that's one of the biggest um, indicators of change, is, is that people just will not accept lies any longer. Uh, in fairness, what we have at the moment are uh, somewhere in the region of about one billion people who are ready to make that final step. Uh, but it's not time for them to make it yet. When it is time, they will, en masse, we will make a major shift and that will change the world, literally, because we cannot, if, if you have the whole soul within the body, then you cannot be attacked in any shape or form, whether that's politically, chemically, or whatever it is. You cannot tolerate any kind of lie, um, and you will shine out to people, basically, as being um, something to aspire to. I mean, let, let's face it, let, let's say you, Mark, were ready to undergo this change. You, you had completed everything you needed to do in your life, cleared out all the rubbish from the past, sorted all your problems out, and you were ready to undergo this change. And let's say you did it. So you are a lone person within the Western world. What's, what's, what's likely to happen if you did that? And there are two things that are likely to happen. One would be you would be instantly arrested and taken off to a military camp somewhere and experimented on. The other thing that would happen is that you would shine out so brightly as somebody so different that a new religion would be built around you. And that becomes a major distraction because all those people who are close to making that final step, but still have a little way to go, still want somebody to turn around and make it easy for them. So if you stood up and became a Jesus or a Buddha-like figure, um, then they would turn to you and expect you to solve all their problems for them. And that would be a pointless exercise. Not only would it cause you problems, but it means that they will not be able to resolve their problems and fulfill their, all the choices that they've made through their lives. And so it becomes very, very difficult. So this is why so few people within the Western world have actually undergone this change, is because those scenarios would become immediately the problem. So it's better that there is a mass shift at the same time and it is that one or two individuals in, in various countries undergo the final change. So the final change isn't necessarily going to come before the end of 2011. It's sort of something that could be over several years. Is, is that correct? No, it won't be over several years, and absolutely not after the end of 2012. Right. 
but all the energy patterns are in place to allow people to make this kind of change um, by the end of 2011. That is, that is as, far, as far as the Akashic is concerned, the human plan completes at the end of 2011. It then gives us another year to sort whatever needs to be sorted out um, before the end of 2012. Because it's still 2012... Uh, is a point of change which nobody can see past. And I mean nobody. Nobody within the universe can see past the end of 2012. It, it's a future that does not yet exist. It's only something we humans can make. And the more people who undergo this process of change and reintegrate the soul back into the body, then the better that future will be. But quite what it is behind the veil of 2012 hasn't yet been made. And there is no way of predicting quite where it's going to go, how it's going to turn out, or quite what it is going to be. Other than, if we make this, if we can reintegrate the soul back into the body, then we are recreating the conditions of Atlantis. And we are recreating Eden. We are recreating paradise. And then we can undo all the damage that we have done to this unbelievably amazing planet and get it back to the pristine condition that it should be in. So all pollution, all nuclear waste, everything, wherever that pollution is, whether it's fresh water, seawater, the air, the land, everything can be destroyed because we will have the psychic capability of destroying all of these things and returning the planet back to its pristine condition. And that's what we were all about. And that's what the contract between the Earth and humanity is about. Is that, you know, we can play, we can cause the mess we've made over the last 7,000 years. The planet quite happily allowed it. But once we get to the end of this 7,000 year contract of the human plan, then either we leave the planet or we return it back to its pristine condition. And this is what after 2012 is about. But quite how we achieve it, quite how we go about it, is a totally unknown quantity. Because nobody within the universe has ever stood where humanity is standing at this present time. It's never, ever occurred before, anywhere, throughout the whole of creation. So we are breaking new ground, we're breaking new territory. And in some respects, that's very scary. But all we have to do is to follow our hearts, follow our inner knowing, following our higher selves, because we will work it out that there's, you know, no doubt about it. As I say, there's over a billion people ready to make this change. And when the time is right, they will do so. And we will then create a new, uh, a new existence on the earth that has never been seen before. Right. Well, I, I think that's the best time to finish there. Obviously, anyone listening, you can learn a lot more about what Chris has said in in his latest book called Synthesis. But I'd like to say thank you very much, Chris, for all that you've shared with us tonight. And uh, can, can I add one? Uh, yeah, one, one final you. thing. Uh, can, yeah. Can I add one little bit? Yeah. Um, the planet at the moment um, depends totally on the existence of insects like bees. And the bee population is being totally decimated. And today I just read yet another scientific report that shows that the primary cause of death of bees is mobile phones. Now, I've read several scientific studies over the last 10 years which show categorically that the energy emissions from mobile phones particularly Wi-Fi emissions, kill insects, they kill birds, and currently are causing cancer, like growths in trees. What the reports don't tell you is what they're actually doing to the human body. So what I would urge people, if it is at all possible, is to say, before you switch on your mobile phone, Remember, every time you switch that mobile phone on or you use Wi-Fi equipment, you kill a bee and you give a tree cancer. So think about it before you do it.
Sorry about that. I just no, really needed a rant. No, that's a very valid, it, valid point. It is it? horrendous what mm. is being done by particularly Wi-Fi and mobile phones. The damage is unspeakable, basically. It is beyond belief. Right, so hopefully everyone will take note of that and maybe we, we perhaps need to stop using our mobile phones. It would be good uh, because there's other reasons for stopping using mobile phones as well because, you know, the war in Darfur, for example, is purely and simply caused by a mineral which is only used in electrical equipment. And so if people stopped using their mobile phones, there wouldn't be any need for, for this mineral and we'd stop killing them, killing them, displacing the millions of people who've been killed and displaced in Darfur. You know, um, as, as I was saying earlier, as, these, as we go through this change, these truths come to light and they can't be hidden any longer. No matter how desperately the uh, Illuminati-controlled newspapers try it, they will come out. And um, this is very much uh, a major concern, is the damage we are currently doing to ourselves and the planet by mobile phones and Wi-Fi is beyond belief. Um, and yet we continue to do it. So, you know, people just need to be aware. Say, so every time you turn on a mobile phone or use Wi-Fi equipment, you will kill a bee. No doubt about it. And you will give a tree cancer. And the, the chances are that what you are doing is destroying the cells that run from the inner ear into the brain. You're making yourself deaf. You're giving yourself what they call glial cell cancer. Um, in children under 15, there is a 100% greater incidence of this glial cell cancer when you use mobile phones than there would be normally. In adults, it's about 75% greater risk of it. So it is the damage done to the body by these frequencies is horrendous. Never mind about the environment. There you go. All right. Mind. Okay. Well, thank, thanks ever so much, Chris, because I'm sure everyone listening has, has learned a lot tonight. And just one more plug for Chris's book, um, Synthesis, which we'll put all the details of how you can get the book. Obviously, you can get it through Cygnus as well, um, but you can get it direct from Chris as well. Yes. Um, uh, although the, I, I can only accept checks. I can't accept credit cards, no, so no. it would have to be checks made payable to Chris Thomas. Yeah. 